Welcome, one and all, to this very special Quickfire Chaos Clip Show! Hey everyone, it's Derek, and this is part two of the Quickfire Compilation Other episode. So, that's what you're tuning in for. This is the third bonus episode in between seasons. Been a ton of fun to put these together, ton of fun to listen back and remember the fun times that I had with my guests and really kind of soak in the talent and the expertise they have as part of the tabletop role-playing game sphere and space. So, yeah, I hope you will enjoy it just as much as I do. A couple of things. Number one, I've got a couple of appearances that I've made recently. Um, number one, the Next to Nothing podcast. That's if you search Next to Nothing all spelled out. It's a podcast about gaming. They cover TTRPGs specifically in my episode. But yeah, they talk about all sorts of different kinds of stuff gaming. So thanks to Mandachi and Mr. Green and Lead for having me on there. You can find that on YouTube or anywhere you find your podcasts. I had an appearance with Robert Hartley recently. Robert Hartley GM, the DM for Viva La Dirt League. He had me on his short rest kind of chat talk show. So that aired live on Twitch a couple of Fridays ago or maybe last Friday, and he and I chatted, and it was a ton of fun, and you should be able to find the video on demand there or on his YouTube channel. Also, I have an upcoming appearance with my friend Danilo on the Thinking Critically podcast, talking about Thinking Critically about D&D. He has his guests think of a word. The whole episode circles around that word and what it has to do with tabletop role-playing games, so a lot of fun there. I do have some other fun appearances coming up that are more seasonal, so some stuff coming up for October that should be a ton of fun, so be on the lookout for that, and I will obviously be, you know, announcing that stuff as it goes live, so yeah, check it out. Last thing is my friend Matthew and Jordan and I are are working hard on our Kickstarter stuff. We should be dropping the name and kind of like a little teaser about what it's about soon, so be on the lookout for that. If you haven't yet, do me a big favor and head to Twitter or Instagram and follow Fireball underscore Forge. That's the name of our publishing project that we decided on. And so any and all things we publish moving forward will be coming from that source. So yeah, that's again at Fireball underscore Forge on both Twitter and Instagram. That's where you can kind of keep up with the updates. If you prefer to get your information from another source, please let me know. And I will try to get it to you in that air, uh, in that place, depending on the social media or whatever. It's still very much fledgling, but I think it'll grow into its own as we finish up that first project. So yeah, really excited about that. Okay, that's all that I have for you today. Let's go ahead and get started with the first guest of the second segment of the Quickfire Compilation Other episode. This week, uh, Logan and I are going to do something a little different. And actually, let's have you describe what the Mr. Rowe method is so that people understand oh, sure. what's going on if they're, if they're um, not sure. So, yeah. Uh, so, Logan is well, something he's really well known for on social media is the Mr. Rowe method. So, he's going to explain a little bit about that and where that came from and how it's going to play into the game today. Sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> the Mr. Rowe method is a element of intuitive eating where you, if you're trying to figure out what it is that you want to eat and be intuitive with, with yourself and what sounds good, you're going to think about the taste, the texture and the temperature, as well as, you know, any other thing that you want to include in that in the food. So 
I'm hungry. What do I want to eat? Something soft, something hard, something crunchy, something smooth, something hot, something cold. And then you create this you know, little list of things that, oh, that sounds really good. That's the yeah. Mr. Road method. So if I was sitting there and I'm like, man, I want some hot, spicy crunch. I'd be looking for some tacos or some nachos yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah. I want some some warm, hearty slurp. You know, I'm looking for some ramen or or something mm-hmm. like that. That's, mm-hmm. that. So that's those are some examples. Uh, and and you and your wife will be driving around in your car and you'll make an Instagram story and kind of like, you know, describing what you two are in the mood for. And it's super fun to watch. Yeah, My wife and I, you. a couple of years ago, kind of I don't know if Tiffany introduced her to intuitive eating or she found it herself. But it's been really cool for us to start thinking about it like that instead of instead of trying to be limiting on what we eat. It's like, what actually, what, what sounds good? Because your body knows what it wants. And yeah. if you give your body what it wants, then it'll feel good. And yeah. I love that. I think it's, it's really cool to think about food in a positive light when we're kind of drilled at such a young age that it should be negative or restrictive mm-hmm. or something. So Absolutely. anyway, that that's the end of the spiel. Uh, sorry. Don't, don't want me to get too preachy about it, but yeah. So Mr. Rowe here, we have opened up a new tavern in the city of Waterdeep and you've got connections across the globe and you're going to start a new tavern that specializes in exotic dishes. Okay. So I'm going to give yeah. you a list of monsters here from the monster manual. You're going to tell me how you might prepare them in a delicious dish and okay. how you think it would taste using the Mr. Rowe method. Okay, I love it. Let's do this. All right. So we're going to start off in alphabetical order here with the Aboleth. Aboleth. Like I said, you can pull up whatever you need to, to look um, at it. But That's the like, fishy looking thing, right? Yeah, it's like this giant ancient fish with three fins. And it, yeah. it has okay. like ancestral memories about being banished by the gods. Right. <laughs> okay. So the Aboleth. Well, I would, um, being a fish and a uh, a big fan of Japanese culture, mm-hmm. I would prepare this in like a, a sashimi type dish. So you would you would get a uh, not cold but but cooler, fresh unami munch there you go yeah a little bit of avalis sashimi sashimi mm-hmm. i like that that sounds delicious <laughs> hopefully it doesn't poison you when you yeah eat. it might mess with your mind as well there's <laughs> just gotta prepare it properly uh okay next ankeg or ankeg oh, okay. i've heard okay. it two different ways yeah uh yeah all right big giant bug looking thing yeah i would uh Ooh. okay we're gonna go uh we're gonna go with like a pull it apart and we're going to do some deep frying in here. So we're going to remove that carapace from it. And then uh, in a nice batter, we'll then deep fry it. So you're going to get a, a, a hot, crispy spice. Cause I'm going to add, I'm going to add some seasonings to that. Yeah. This is more of an appetizer dish really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay. I had to pick this one. Next up is gelatinous cube. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going straight to the dessert round. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I mean, it already comes as a cube. So w- what I might do, I might cube it up even more, like into littler cubes, and yeah. and put that on a, a, a nice, a nice uh, rounded plate, 
add some cream along the sides, maybe give it a little, ah, ooh, yeah, a little bit of zest. We're going to put some zest on that, and then you're going to have a, uh, a slurpy, soft glurp. Yeah, because you you're going to, you could use a spoon or a for fork with that one. Yeah, it'll be kind of like Jello, but yeah. with the acidic taste. The cream and the zest will really complement the flavors. That sounds yeah. delicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next one is myconid. Myconid. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah. Earthy, soft texture. Uh, well, probably just in a, in a light searing in a pan. Yeah, add some more uh, spices to that. Maybe add in a, a few beets and potatoes and then create Ooh. a little dish of, yeah, like crisp, soft, earthy, yum. That's what we'll call that. Myconid root salad or, or yeah. vegetable salad kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Sounds delicious. Uh, okay. Mimic. <laughs> I have no idea how you're gonna do this one, but I want to see. Mimic, oh, that's tough. Yeah. What is it even mimicking? <laughs> oh man, know. I feel like it depends so much on what it. Is. That is so tough. Oh, what is a mimic when it is not mimicking an object? I know. Once it's dead, what happens? Yeah. I don't know. What has happened? I would say. Shoot, man, you might have gotten me on that one. I have faith. I would say it is a salty, sweet, globby lump chew. <sighs> yeah. I don't know, I, I, you could probably serve it with anything, you know? It's that's probably, the thing. It's a mimic. Yeah. You, you can make it be any dish you want. As soon as you start putting in ingredients, it might like begin to adhere or like manipulate itself to become part of that ingredient so it really is like sweet or sour or whatever it's like the msg of the of the fantasy <laughs> food world yeah <laughs> oh man uh okay three more shambling mound Ooh, shambling mound all right uh this is like a a hearty salad this is like a yeah this could be a main course but it is a salad you're gonna be getting some there's gonna be some fresh crunch uh with some maybe a little bit of uh, there's like a tart zip there in it you know because you're gonna bite in some of those leafy greens in there and they're gonna they're gonna pop with some flavor it might even be, be like some cilantro like, some water yeah, yeah and maybe some <laughs> even like berries in there so you'll get these little zips of like a ooh there's a little like sweet tang in that yeah yeah yeah, I love it. Uh, okay, Tarask. <laughs> oh, right. This is your mother's steak right here. This is just hearty, filling, salty, savory chomp. Yeah. It's just a big, big old Tarask chop. Yeah, a, ch a steak. <laughs> oh, all right. Last one, Purple Worm. Purple Worm. Okay, all right. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to actually treat this like a like a seared ahi tuna. It's uh Ooh, it's, like steaks of it. Yeah, man. we're going to we're going to st uh, steak fillet that thing and then just sear it around the outsides, but I want you to to 
get in and taste that that very fatty meat of of the worm and so we're not gonna be cooking this for long and then yeah you're just gonna have a fatty smooth savory chew there we go because it probably is a, a little chewy Man, I don't know about you, but I got to get me a reservation to that restaurant ASAP because it sounds delicious and I can't wait to eat all of these terrible monsters that my party has slain. Mr. Rowe, Logan Rowe, really fun to chat with. I've only ever talked with him via DMs or whatever and then this recording, but he's just one of those people I feel like would be a really good friend of mine. And uh, I don't remember if I mentioned this on the episode or not, but my wife followed his wife originally and we were kind of you know watching one of their stories one time on instagram or something like that and i don't remember what he said but i was like you know what i'll bet you that he plays DD. and then i feel like it was maybe not even a day or two later here his wife posted like their whole game setup when they were getting ready to play a game uh, this was pre-pandemic stuff but i remember him posting uh something about them getting ready to play a game of D and i was like yes i knew it i just knew he's a kindred spirit so a shout out to logan can't wait to hang out with you soon. Next up, we have got Will from D&D Shorts breaking down some power gaming combinations that he himself presented to the internet in TikTok form and how he might counteract them if he was the DM. Let's get into it. I have written down a few of some of my favorite combos that you talked about, and I would like you to tell me how you might counter them as a DM if your players came at you with something like this, all right? You can <laughs> yeah, yeah, use whatever you want, whatever you can think of to, like, counter this. Monster combos in exchange. Yeah, okay, well, yeah. yeah, whatever yeah, let's you want. Do it. Monster combos or character combos, you know, villains, whatever you can yeah. think of, just as a, kind of a fun thought exercise. So, uh, okay, so uh, we'll start off with your most recent one as of this recording, which is the Toucan Cannon. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's a way for artificers to make a floating gun turret that guns people down. Yes. I should probably preface this by saying that as a DM, it's my philosophy. You never want to specifically say no to a player in terms of like just cutting them off. Because DMs, we have ultimate power, right? You know, you can say rocks fall and everyone dies, right? Right. So what I'd always try and do is find a way, if something seems too strong, to kind of counter that back. If it was something like the the Toucan Cannon, which is... um, basically a long-range blasting to get some extra damage. I think I'd probably try and do something where there's either a lot of enemies, because a lot of powerful combos, they focus on bursts of damage that usually only hit one enemy. Yeah. So you can swarm quite easily. Yeah. Or I might try something... I like the idea of maybe, like... You know what? I'd match it. I'd go full-on, like, reverse flash on this. I would have, like, an evil artificer craft some kind of mcu vulture battle suit we'll go aerial battle on this you can have your like spy drone flying around with a gatling gun but he's bringing three mechanical rocks or something i think that would be really cool if you were finding that combo was too strong the homunculus servant isn't that powerful it does automatically dodge but you could potentially bring in some aoe effects to kind of hit it for half on the deck save you'll bring it down eventually but yeah I'd, i'd probably try and do some kind of like Let's go. You know, like, um, you want to bring it to the air? We're going to do this. And, and I'd try and get up, try and get those kind of... I think that'd be really cool. Having kind of like a battle of the pets kind of thing. If they brought their own homunculus servant or something like that, that'd be badass. Battle of the pets. I like it. Uh, okay, next. Arachnofog. Uh, this was another recent one. Uh, basically, you cast Fog Cloud on an enemy and then you wild shape into a giant spider who has is it tremor sense they've got the blind sight and they will do also have web sense if they want to yeah yeah, yeah. 
That's one where if I was the DM and someone did that, I would be so happy that they hadn't just wild shaped into a bear. The idea for that combo is just that every moon druid I've ever met, it's always straight to the bear. Mm. Heavy Obscurement is extremely strong in D&D. Fog Cloud, Darkness, Hunger of Hadar, all these spells have the potential to very quickly get broken if players have the blind fighting style or they're a warlock with Devil Sight. Yep, yep. Yeah, so if players are exploiting that, I think you definitely let them have their fun with it. I always thought it would be awesome to put together a party where everyone can, like, you know, the fighter takes blind fighting, someone takes Eldritch Adept, so they can see in the dark, and then you've got a warlock, and you have a whole party that's, like, basically, like, night assassins. <laughs> but, yeah, if you wanted to throw them against other creatures with blind sight, or throw them against stuff that doesn't need to see necessarily to deal damage, like the AoE effects, or things like that. I think that's the way to handle those kind of the heavy obscurements. I was going to say, you could totally just blast a lightning bolt through the darkness or throw a fireball at the darkness and just call it good. Yeah. Yeah, you can just go for, you know, the big things. Like, like people think they're really clever, but you, you don't need to be able to see someone to fireball them. It's true. <laughs> you know, that's rule one at wizard school. That's like the first thing they taught me when I showed up. <laughs> yeah, I think the heavy obscurement is a real threat to DL. Like, it's something that if your players can do it, you need to be ready for mm. it. And usually... Thermosense, Tremosense, Blind Sight, Devil Sight. These are the ways to make sure that overwhelming advantage doesn't always go to your players. I like it. Uh, so yeah, that's how I'd handle that one. Next one, this was one of my favorites, uh, God Griffin. Okay, so yeah, just so people know what we're talking about. God Griffin is where a bard via magical secrets can take find greater steed and also tensor's transformation. Yeah. So they, get, like, they can get a, a creature, a pet, like a griffin or a unicorn that has like all this insane buffs that um, Tenzer's Transformation gives you. And proficiency with weapons too, which was Yeah, proficiency with like, weapons, yes. Yeah, so the, yeah, it can like carry swords. Yeah, the, the animation with like the griffin with all these swords was just Yeah, that was thing. a good, that one, yeah. I spent ages on that Photoshop as well. Okay, yeah, that one's, okay, so for that one, that's a level 14 combo. Mm -hmm. Because you need to get to that level for the magical secrets. So when you get to that level of the game, you're kind of straying very close to just, this is ridiculous anyway. Yeah, That combo is really fun. I don't think it's necessarily something you'd need to worry about. If you were bringing a, maybe like an ancient white dragon would be a fair, yeah. or something around CR 20, I'd be looking at if you were bringing like one boss fight, you'd, you'd want to hit up the CR quite a lot. When you're getting to these sixth and seventh level spells, you know, people can be rocking out simulacrums at that point. I probably wouldn't necessarily think that would need anything directly to counter it. If you have the time in advance to see what your players are going to do, if you know the players love to do this combo, you can look at what they're going to do and you can plan ahead for something. It might not be broken what they're doing, but you can be like, this is going to be an amazing moment. And if they were bringing a griffin that was dual wielding swords, <laughs> I would definitely try and bring something equally crazy. I'd be like, okay, you've got this griffin with swords. Here's a purple worm with a bazooka strapped to his back like <laughs> yeah. let's go yeah jumping in like that i think that'd be really cool you could maybe do something with like a mounted enemy like maybe a death knight on a nightmare mm. who used the same strategy nightmare um, with wings or yeah. something anyway uh love yeah it. something like that yeah the last one is beast railgun this is the one where you summon a load of beasts and they can all cast catapult via the artificer ability it makes the most broken third level spell more broken because conjure animals is insane this is really dangerous. Uh, I don't even know offhand how directly to counter it. Because the idea is on each of their turns, they touch the object the artificer has imbued with catapult, right? And they catapult themselves. Yeah. Yeah, they can catapult rocks. And um, 
Catapult's a really good spell anyway, and it's very breakable too. Conjure Animals is the real problem here. Like, that spell is just crazy. Like, putting that many beasts on the map, for a start, it's a logistical nightmare. Oh. It slows games down. It's like crazy. It is the, the power gamer move is always Conjure Animals. It was like my second or third session that my buddy Ty did that and like slaughtered my boss monsters with four sharks in the water or eight wolves or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, I don't have time to keep track of eight wolves. Like this is my third time DMing, you know, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's an unbelievable spell. If you know it's coming, there's always counter spell, right? Every boss monster I do, every boss encounter, I give them dispel magic at ninth level for free as many times as they like, because it is so crucial in shutting things down. Otherwise, the game, ju it, it just ends, especially at high level. We do a lot of like level 21 shots where people bring crazy stuff and you just need those dispel magics. So I think that's kind of, sometimes when these spell combos go crazy, you really need to have those reaction counter spells and you can subtle spell them as well if you if you don't want your players counter spell mm -hmm. in the back. And then just trying to break the concentration as early as possible. But that, that combo really is crazy. That's a combo where you might be like, you do it once and it's like, that was totally badass, man. But, you know, in the interest of having a game that keeps going, let's not do that again. And you do need to be able to be comfortable saying that because D&D is a game where you can do crazy stuff and that's the fun. And it's fun to talk about. But if there's a point where it's too ridiculous and it's actually broken and it means that combat is just always over, you may as well skip the combat, right? So you can either say, this is totally badass. Like you worked it out. It's awesome. But let's leave it to bed now, and we'll is if that's okay, you know. If, if and we'll find new creative ways to do other stuff. Mm. There's a few combos like that. There's a famous one where you cast conjure woodland beings for pixies, and they turn the entire party into T Rexes. Yep, because they can cast polymorph. I mean, it's badass, right? It's such a cool idea. But if that's every combat, what's the point? Yeah, yeah, it's what's yeah. the point. So I think uh, DMs do need to be able to say in a non like. I'm shutting you down kind of way. And you can just be like, hey man, like this is really cool, but for the sake of keeping things fresh, can we switch it up, you know? And I think any reasonable player who's, you know, because players want to have fun and that's why they're doing this stuff. And you can be like, this is fun, but we've got to keep things going. Yeah. And I think that's what we come to. It is very healthy, I think, to um, have these kinds of conversations and make sure that everybody's on the same page because maybe they do want to keep doing that and that's fine and maybe they just need to go find another game where they where they can do that kind of stuff or maybe they do agree with you and they wanted to do it once and everyone had their fun and it's a good memory and then they move on so I think both are uh, totally viable options yeah, yeah and you can always run these you can always do a one shot where people go crazy I mean that's True. awesome to do you know like if, if people want to get this out of their system you want to fight the Tarasks? You want to fight three Tarasks? Three buffed Tarasks at level 20? Let's do it. But for the sake of, if you've got this overarching narrative that people want to keep sensible, then yeah, we, we can do different stuff in this game. That's the wonderful thing about D&D. You can completely swap up whenever you want um, or have a dream arc where everyone plays different characters. You know, there's always a way. Yeah, true. Again, had tons of fun chatting with Will. I'd been following him on TikTok for a while. My TikTok game is weak compared to his. It's weak compared to a lot of people's, let's be honest. But in preparation for this episode, if you don't follow me on Instagram or TikTok, you should go check this out. I made a little video that was basically mimicking his style of uh, presenting things. I tried to get his costume down as well. He and I both have beards. Mine is not anywhere near as well formed or large as his. But yeah, I was pretty proud of that video. And, uh, you know, my wife helped me shoot it. So you should go check that one out because that one was just fun to make. But yeah, big shout out to Will. Love his enthusiasm. He's got a really good eye for content. And 
he does a lot of other cool stuff on the side too. So go check him out if you haven't already. All right, now we are on to the prolific Mike Shea, aka Sly Flourish. I didn't know this because I haven't ever played 4E. I know I'm a poser, but uh, Sly Flourish was the name of a rogue ability from 4th edition D&D. So that's where he got his name from. I never knew until he mentioned it in the episode today. So if you learned that with me, congrats. If you already knew that, I know I'm a poser. I'm sorry, but I'm getting there. I asked Mike to kind of go through the ideas from his book, The Lazy Dungeon Master, or rather The Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the newer version, and kind of walk through the steps he takes to prep a session because I found myself taking very similar steps, but maybe not in the same order. And I was missing a few that he finds very important and that I have now decided are quite important too. So we kind of walk through prepping a game based on random roles of what the encounters are going to be. And it was a ton of fun. Check it out. I've outlined a party of four people and what we'll do is we'll roll I'll have you roll a D100 to pick a random city quest. Okay. Then I'll pick from one of these characters one of their like goals that will tie in. We can kind of just hit that. That's the review the characters part. And then just like really quickly uh, off the top of your head, what kind of like strong start would you do? What kind of potential scenes might you put in for this? Sure. Cool. Yeah, if you would roll a D100 for me, we'll see what our quest is. These are city quests. 33. A mad alchemist set up a shop next to your favorite tavern. The whole establishment reeks of foul eggs and other unpleasant things. The tavern owner asks you to help convincing the alchemist to stop his work or leave. So we've got a party of four characters. We've got a rogue, a wizard, a barbarian, and a fighter. The wizard is particularly interested in alchemy. Uh, She is always looking for new knowledge. And she's kind of learned how to make a few potions here and there. So she might be an interesting tie-in. And then also, I'll say the barbarian has been looking for his missing son for a few years. And I feel like you could take one or two of those things if you want for the review characters. Okay, so we're going to use the lazy dungeon master method here. We've got eight steps of... Yep, it's eight. Yeah, eight, eight steps. Okay, I was like, <laughs> did I miscount? Eight yep. steps. But we uh, got seven to... left because you kind of reviewed the characters a little bit. So we probably... Yes. Uh, I want to give you one something because yeah. if we're just making up characters, then it would take forever. So sure. there's some review the characters. That works. Uh, yeah. And that's good From stuff. There. Some good, there are good hooks in there. Having, having yeah. a character who's into the alchemy and likes mm-hmm. this and the barbarian that's, that's looking for their lost son. Both, I think, yeah. are excellent hooks that we could play with here. The strong start is easy. The wall of the bar explodes. Okay. From the alchemy side, great oozes start floating into the bar and eating people. Okay. A bunch of people are trying to enjoy their afternoon drink. The wall explodes and great oozes start attacking people. And the bartender goes, oh, not again, and shouts in exasperation. They're like, oh, again. The party's in the bar. They're in the bar and the yeah. wall explodes. And now, and, all right, so they can get involved and fight some great oozes. So that way you got a good start to the whole thing. So they have to fight the oozes. And then they, of course, are like, what's going on here? You can kind of decide, like, okay, well, what are the scenes that take place after that? Well, I think, like, confronting the alchemist and be like, you know, the bartender hires the characters to go deal with this situation. Hey, I've dealt with this guy before. He's a pain in the ass neighbor, right? You got to deal with it. <laughs> the guy's juiced in, right? The guy's got, like, relatives in the council mm. where they can't get rid of the alchemy, right? And the alchemist is like, I told you to reinforce that wall. You clearly didn't. So, really, this is your fault, right? And, you know, bad zoning, right, building us up to code, bad zoning, right? And so you can have a lot of fun with that. You know, you want to create a fun situation. Like the bartender wants the characters to either maybe break into the alchemist place 
in order to try to learn more about what he's doing over there that's clearly against policy, right? Clearly against the city code. Or there's some negotiation that has to take place with local law enforcement. Maybe all of this has to happen. I guess the only hook that I would try to do in here is how is the barbarian's son involved? Right. Maybe the barbarian's son once worked for the alchemist but didn't come back from the alchemist place. So there somewhere. Mm. And maybe it's not it's so sinister. The alchemist's son actually does work there still but has been down in the labs all this time or something like that. Oh, right? and so the wall kicks down. The gray users come and the barbarian's like, that's my son, like on the other side of the wall. Like do something like that, right. So I think one of the, you know, when you go through and I think like the big one are like secrets and clues, like what are the secrets mm. and clues? So you'd want something like the alchemist has actually replaced the town politicians with mimic versions of the politicians. Why has the alchemist been able to keep this going? The alchemist might have a secret lab that's got other politicians that are in tubes that are being slowly built like pod people so you could have lots of fun sort of secrets like that and that would be a good example of the fantastic location yeah well so the location would be like all the various pieces of the lab but you could have another location of the council hall like what makes the council hall fantastic huge statue of the lord who once ran the place or stained glass windows that move or something the whole thing is on a hill but it's all floating above the hill like all the chamber seats are floating above it so you want to make it kind of like you know oh yeah i see what that's like but it's also really cool Mm -hmm. and then the secrets are all the weird things that the alchemist might be up to and then treasure is easy right there's tons of potions and scrolls and other weird oddities that somebody could find there. magic items that the alchemist had so you could do that npcs would be of course the alchemist the bartender the politicians and then monsters are your whole flavor of various oozy type monsters you can pretty much make any monster an ooze creature you can just sort of give it the ooze template you can make up an ooze template and apply it to anything so if you wanted like an ogre and there's probably appropriate cr but if you wanted like ogre oozes these could be like the weird mimic creatures that the alchemist has built that are forming big tough ogres right and you just take an ogre stat block and say it's an ooze ogre you don't really have to tie too much mechanics to it and it'll still mm-hmm. work out. Maybe it can squeeze under doors, you know, something really weird. Yeah, they drop from the ceiling or something because they're like yeah. stuck on it or whatever. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. A lot of ways you could do that. Probably need a little bit more than that to uh, run an adventure, but maybe not much, right? I think I could have fun with that. Yeah, that'd be at least a few sessions worth, I think, of chasing down all of the leads and figuring it out. I think that hits all the steps. Yeah. Amazing. Again, an expert at work and his book is definitely worth the 10 bucks or whatever it costs if you're looking to really up your game and prep and make prep simple and organized and not waffle around for 30 minutes trying to decide what to do here what to do there it's very systematic it just made it so much easier for me and it'll make it easier for you too so you should go check it out but yeah fun to see him you know from just some randomness again come up with a great little session to prep kind of goes through the steps and shows you exactly how he thinks about things and what makes it really easy and smooth and uh you know keep the game interesting for your players too all right cool next up we've got scald of shenanigans you know her from all of the awesome puzzle supplements she's made she's also gotten into game design recently she started posting some cool stuff some subclasses and and stuff like that that you should go check out she also does layout work and uh, a bunch of other stuff so super talented but yeah i wanted to chat specifically about her traps and puzzles that she's made because that's work that i actually purchased and used in some of my own games really kind of how i i found out about her so yeah let's check out scald's ideas about traps and puzzles and how you can incorporate them and maybe thinking of quick and easy ones and interesting ones to put in your dungeons or wherever your party is wandering to keep things interesting i am firmly in camp traps and puzzles are fun 
if you make them fun. So let the record show that's where I am. All right, let's dive in. I'm going to have you give me some examples of traps you might put in somewhere. How about that? Okay, that sounds great. That'll kind of like showcase some of your traps and puzzles ideas. And you don't have to like pull them straight from the stuff you've published, but that highlights part of your work that at least I'm most familiar with and that people will like. So let's do that. Nice. I have pulled up a theme and setting generator. And the good news is if we don't like them, we can just generate some new random ones. Uh, So let me know if, if you'd rather try something else. The example I've got pulled up is uh, Steampunk War. And then what I'll do is I'll generate a random dungeon. And we can decide where the dungeon might be and then what types of puzzles would be in a dungeon for this story, like this kind of setting, right? So you've got a bunch, right, that you've written all of your different supplements for different Mm -hmm. kinds of stories. So hopefully Mm -hmm. we can make this make sense. I'm going to start clicking on the generator. You just tell me when to stop and then I'll read them. We'll decide if we like them and we'll move on to the dungeon. Sound good? Sounds good. Okay. So just tell me when to stop. Now. Prehistoric survival. Is that something? I mean, you throw something out, I will find a way to roll with it. So the theme of the adventure is survival. The setting is prehistoric. So we're talking before there's really formal writing formal written history right it's probably mostly oral history still at this point so that's Mm -hmm. interesting that means that spells will be much less reliant on like written stuff but and more on maybe i don't know like earth based magics or or magics based on other things so that's interesting for the dungeon let's just decide what kind of dungeon you might put in a uh, a prehistoric game so Prehistory, but that doesn't mean that there's still or that there's not like caves that people have for specific uses like burial caves or is this a cave people live in? Is it a cave people store stuff in like maybe they store food and water or stuff they're accumulating? Or is it a cave where they keep their dead or a cave where they perform rituals of some kind? What do you I think? would say this is a cave where they perform rituals. So there okay. are some protective measures that are in place and it's a pretty big cave network that you've got going on here. All right. Big cave network. Then mm-hmm. we've got some rituals going on. The theme being survival. I suppose we could just easily weave that into you've got to survive this cave yeah. to get to the end result. <laughs> What do we want to put in, like, at the heart of the cave that they might be trying to go get? Hmm. There is a part of me that's tempted to say some sort of statue or idol of some significance that they've been Uh sent to retrieve. Okay. I love it. Some kind of religious artifact or relic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've got a cave. You said you wanted it to be big and kind of winding a lot of different parts and pieces to it. We're looking for something of religious significance in the center. The people who use this cave regularly are trying to keep other people out, obviously, because they want to protect what's in there. So using traps and puzzles, what sort of traps and puzzles might these people put in here to make it hard to get to the center and to steal stuff? Starting with traps, I can think of a few off the top of the bat. You've got the roof that's been rigged to collapse. So if you are not careful as you go through a certain section of it, you've got part of the roof that'll come down and you can either try to dodge out of the way or run further in 
The chance, though, might be then that you're stuck in a certain branch of the cave. So you have to choose in a very short window of time whether you're going to go forwards or back as mm. that roof starts coming down. Could be a dead end. It could be you have to take a super long way around once it's collapsed. You've also got the, you could always go for the stereotypical spike pits. Those are always good ones. I enjoy traps where there's some form of tripwire or something that if the players are observant, they can spot to try to disarm it. You've got the spike pits. You've also got thinking about the kinds of substances and materials that would be used at the time. So you can have a trap that might trigger a kind of gas or powder the kind that would be used in cave paintings potentially, but it could have some poisonous elements to it. Mm-hmm. So that if you do trigger it, you might not be injured, but if you don't do well on a con save, you might suffer from temporary blindness. You might suffer from a decrease to your movement speed, something that hampers you or hinders you in your way forward. As far as potential puzzles and things to sort out, there's a few of those that would be fun. You could have a section of the cave network that's extraordinarily maze-like, where the player's by torchlight are not able to get anywhere but if they snuff out their torches there's little bioluminescent fungi Mm. on the roof that points them which way to go and they can follow that to get through you could also have a section of the caves that has water potentially in it where in order to get to the next section they're going to actually have to dive down and swim through a portion of the cave but they won't be able to tell that until they actually go and explore it you could additionally have some idol matching so we're talking about idols here you could have a door that is sealed shut and it only opens up when you have idols placed in very specific locations so for example you could have three that are all sort of connected and they all have something in common so a hybrid animal something like a griffin so you need to first get a bird and a lion into these icons and then you can put the griffin in the third one and that'll unlock the door Those are just a few things that I can think of off the top of my head that might make it a little more interesting as they go through this. Yeah, in that last room, you'd have like a bunch of statues, right? And they'd have to like be smart enough to grab the right right ones. ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love the bioluminescent mushrooms, fungus, or algae. I've used that in games before. I've used the tunnels you have to swim through before. Mm -hmm, You could mm -hmm. make them longer so that it takes uh, con checks and you could have like branches that lead to nowhere so you have to know the right way. Go the right way, yeah. Or you could put something in the water, uh, like a marrow or something. Mm -hmm. To grab at people. Yeah, or maybe some creature that needs tribute, you know, like it expects you to bring it some food or else it eats you. Yeah, (laughs) it's perfect. (laughs) Prehistoric is interesting, but you did a good job, I think, by using stuff that they would have, right? Like the powder, you could easily like have clay urns that drop and like disperse it in the air Mm -hmm. or something. You could also have sand, so a portion where if you Mm. step through something, sand fills it up, and if you don't get out in time, you're going to get smothered. I've used that before, too. I made it in the shape of an hourglass, just because I like symbolism. Just for dramatic effect, I love it. Just for dramatic effect. I love it. The spike pit could easily be wooden stakes, right? And it still does damage. Mm -hmm. But that might mean that they could use some kind of fire or something to clear it out or Mm -hmm. weaken them. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of good ideas, though. I love it. And I love thinking of fun ways to keep dungeons interesting because they can be boring, but I think if you add the right elements, they are very compelling. And uh, it's really, to me, part of what makes D&D D&D. Mm-hmm. And what makes mm-hmm. fantasy games fantasy games is, is this kind of stuff. Cool. Well, I love it. I think those are all fantastic ideas of puzzles and traps and stuff to keep your players guessing. 
So smoothly. Thank you. Again, I am firmly in camp. Puzzles and traps are fun. And I think that her books have a ton of examples of fun ones that you can do and or use in your own games. And also, I think it's important to think of ways to adjust them based on what your party is interested in to make sure that they're tailored for uh, what they're doing. So, yeah, go check her her books out. Really cheap and um, great inspiration for when you're trying to throw a bunch of traps and puzzles into places. She has different books for different themes and settings, so easy to slot them in wherever your party might be wandering. All right, last but not least, we have Cassie, the author of What Crooked Roots, and who has also recently released her own game called Clean Spirit. I wanted to chat with Cassie specifically about horror stuff because that's kind of what What Crooked Roots is about, but she's been doing some other game design stuff. She also does some fun streaming, so make sure to check out her other work that she has produced. But yeah, let's check out Cassie's take on horror. I was thinking we could pick some um, random like settings and you could tell me what kind of interesting folk horror thing you would throw at a party in that place with that kind of theme. All right, I'm going to start clicking, Cassie, and you're going to tell me when to stop. And when you say stop, I'll tell you and the listeners what the theme and setting are, and then we can think of a way to weave folk horror into the setting, all right? Okay. Okay, great. I'm going to start clicking now and just say stop. Stop. The theme is forgiveness. We could give or take the theme. Uh, The setting is space opera. So epic story spanning planets and galaxies, uh, usually big good versus evil themes, but can have a lot of smaller, weirder stuff like, you know, uh, going to a swamp planet and finding a small green person with long ears that teaches you the mystical ways of this force that connects all beings so you know there's there's some kind of like weird folksy things that could happen i think we're going to narrow the scope a little bit on space opera yes please take (laughs) all of the latitude you need all right roll uh for me now a d10 and we will choose the character goals that they might be working toward when they encounter this six never be hurt again so forgiveness never be hurt again space opera okay I can see some lines connecting things. All right. Walk us through uh, what you're thinking, Cassie. Okay. There's a crash Ooh. on a planet. Uh-huh. Right. So we remove Classic. a little bit of the space opera. We're going to narrow, narrow our landscape here. Um, what caused the crash? A rogue, rogue religion caused the crash. Motivations questionable. Maybe that hasn't been discovered yet. Um, but they sabotaged the spaceship, and a few folks were able to uh, redirect, reroute onto this strange planet, and crash. Many casualties. Yeah. They're still they're still NPCs uh, alive, but on the planet there are a lot of strange alien artifacts, uh, strange monuments, strange standing stones. Standing stones mm. are a big folksy thing. When they get close to the standing stones, they hear crying as if someone is trapped inside. It sounds like someone's trapped inside, and there are a lot of these standing stones. They are not much larger than a human body, maybe someone less than seven feet tall. Maybe they're between five and seven feet tall, all scattered around, um, some in groups, some isolated. They do seem to form a trail, and you can see, I could see these astronauts or these space people or aliens, depending on our opera of sorts, maybe following this trail. 
and somehow it ties back into this cult religion that crashed the spaceship. The standing stones were sending a signal to the cult religion. I say cult religion because depending on the world, who knows? Yeah. That they needed to they needed to crash the ship there to free the lost ones. Another thing of folklore is there's a lot of nebulous, right? There's a lot of things that aren't explained. So we don't know mm-hmm. what the lost ones are or who the lost ones are. But the, these people, a part of this religion, knew they had to do this and they committed to it, even though they knew it would be their ending. And by doing so, they knew they would get forgiveness from the lost ones. Ah. Now, I'm not sure how far we want to go with this, but the never be heard again, I think that as those who fell on this planet walk and trace these standing stones, they'll slowly start to realize the planet is holding them in place. And the, the stones are growing around them. So then they will become in the standing stones. And they're it, like hallucinating that they're walking. And then all of a sudden they realize yes. they are a stone. And then they yeah. start screaming and their scream is trapped inside the stone. I love it. I love it. Oh, I get, I'm getting like tingles on my <laughs> spine. This is so cool. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Again, Cassie, I mean, she did admit herself that she'd watched a ton of horror movies and stuff in preparation for creating her supplement, What Crooked Roots. But she took the random stuff I threw at her and was easily able to put together some crazy kind of folk horror elements that would fit into maybe a more sci-fi type game. Something that, that isn't easy for everybody to kind of think of off the top of their head. But what Crooked Roots has tons of ideas about ways to kind of put weird folk horror elements into your games. Again, I've used a few of her suggestions, a few things from what Crooked Roots in my own game and really loved the art and all of the inspiration that that book provided me. So yeah, make sure to go check that out if you haven't and also check out her new game, Clean Spirit. All right, all that is it for part two of the Quickfire Compilation other episode. So that's the third bonus episode I've been releasing in between seasons. I think it was a ton of fun. I'm going to try to do it again next time. Let me know what you thought. If you want a compilation episode of some other kind, I'm sure I can make it happen. My team at uh, T4C Studios, JR, Miggy for the kind of the first half of the season, Matt have been doing a, a super great job in editing and then also helping me put together these episodes too. So yeah, if you have some ideas, I'm sure they'd be down to try to make it happen and it'll be a lot of fun. So yeah, let me know what you think. All right, it's time for the rapid fire round here. Okay, number one, I've had a couple of appearances, so check those out. Next to Nothing Podcast, I was on Robert Hartley GM's Short Rest, and I will be on Thinking Critically coming up soon. Also, watch out for a guest spot coming up soon for a Halloween-style game. Details to follow. Make sure to check out Fireball underscore Forge on Instagram and Twitter. That's where I'm announcing details and upcoming sneak peeks to our Kickstarter that my friends Matthew and Jordan and I are putting together. It's going to be a ton of fun. It's going to really spice up your games, I think. Um, So be on the lookout for that. We should be announcing the name and, and some kind of sneak peeks and stuff very soon. Also, be ready for Season 3 of How Not to DM. That's the most exciting news. Season 3 is dropping September 14th. Be on the lookout for the guest announcement. That should be coming on September 12th. The posters, the uh, sneak peek promo videos. And uh, if you're a patron, you can find out who that is before anybody else. Also, if you're a patron, you got to listen to this episode before anybody else. So there are perks out there, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to help support the show. 
Cool, I think that is everything. Let's get on to the thank yous to the people who helped provide the music and the people who helped me edit and create this show. Thank you to Arcane Anthems for making that track which plays underneath all of the quickfire chaos segments. So check out Arcane Anthems. Got a link in my episode notes for more of his work if you want to check that out. Thanks to Daniel Zombo for the intro and outro music. That's a track called Game Over. Really catchy. Love the kind of old school gamer vibes. And then lastly, thanks to Matt and JR from T4C Studios for helping me edit and produce this podcast. Big thanks to them. They've been helping edit and produce all of season two. I'll be continuing to work with them for season three. We actually have some other fun stuff that we're working on as a studio there. So, you know, we should be kind of announcing some more official shows and content that we're going to be creating. Yeah, so check those out. Also, if you are a video or audio creator, podcast or YouTube videos or anything like that, you can hire Matt and JR and the rest of the team at T4C Studios. They have two companies. One is called VideoEditors.Online. The other is called PodcastEditors.Online. So if you need anything edited, they do a fantastic job, good with communication, very familiar with kind of the TTRPG space. So if you know you happen to be creating that kind of content, then they're ready to rock. They're, they're very familiar with the games as well. And they are good at their jobs. So... Yeah, I can't thank them enough for their help with this last season and with these compilation episodes and with the upcoming season. Really excited for you guys to hear it. And, you know, I couldn't be doing it and churning out all the content I do without their help. So big shout out to them. And I think that is it. So you won't hear from me unless you listen to those guest spots until season three, which is coming very soon. September 14th. Make sure to tune in. But until then, roll some Nat 20s for me.